Greetings and welcome to another podcast of the Apologist Bookshelf. Gary Zacharias here. I'm going to dip back into a book that uh, changed a lot of the ways I thought about things by Gary Friesen. And it's called Decision Making and the Will of God. And I covered uh, one chapter before. Um, this is an alternative view to the idea that God has uh, specific plans for us in all areas of our life and that we're supposed to find them and then follow them. Uh, carefully. So uh, there's a moral will of God, and we all agree that God has a moral will, but what about, does he have a perfect will? Uh, do we know what he wants for every day of our life? And uh, so Friesen comes up with a wisdom model instead of the one that says there's a blueprint out there, and you've got to figure it out, figure out what God has planned for your entire life. So here's a, a chapter 11, and it's uh, dealing with the question, now, he's just finished talking about God's moral will, and we all understand that, you know, things that we should do that would align ourselves with what God wants for us in a moral context. But this chapter 11 says, on what basis is the believer to make decisions in non-moral areas? If God gives us the privilege of choice, how do we do that? And so he says, uh, let's start again. He said, let's, let's talk about the traditional view. And he said, people that follow that and have grown up with that, and by the way, I did, but uh, people commonly explain decisions they've made. They'll say things like, I'm really glad I came here for my first year of college. God showed me that he wanted me here, and I know I'm exactly where I should be. And that sounds good. That sounds legit. Another man might say, Barbara and I both prayed independently about our future. We both felt that God was definitely telling us to get married. So you hear things like that. God guided us into this ministry. We're, we're living in the very center of his will. Uh, Lord, maybe a church says, Lord, help us to recognize the man you've called to be our pastor. And so that kind of terminology, which again, I grew up, I heard things like that, reflect the idea that to make the right decision, you have to discern God's ideal plan. And he says, Friesen says, and this is what he's saying throughout the book. He said, what's so striking when you search the pages of the New Testament, there are no expressions like that. The apostles would explain the reasons for their decision, but not the, those kinds of explanations above. And so here, at this point, he gives you some stories from the Bible. So here's one. New Testament, Thessalonian connection, he calls it here. So on a second missionary journey, Paul founded a church in Thessalonica, but he was driven out by jealous Jews. You see that in Acts 17. He went on to Berea, but he was pursued by those Thessalonian Jews, forced him out of that town. So he moved on to Athens, and finally the Jews went back home. And uh, he knew that the people in Thessalonica would be tested by persecution without having good leadership there. It says Paul, Silas, and Timothy agreed on a plan a plan to encourage the church there. And here we go, 1 Thessalonians 3, first two verses. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy. And so Timothy goes to Thessalonica. So Friesen says, how was that decision made? We thought it best. It was their decision. They had good reasons. And so they, they thought that sending Timothy would be the best way to accomplish their goals. Here's another uh, part from the New Testament. Paul's waiting for his trial before Caesar in Rome, and he's got several people with him, one Epaphroditus, and he came come from Philippi, and he had a love gift from the church there to Paul. 
but he became really, really sick and came close to dying. God preserves him, restores him. So Paul decides he's going to send him home. And this is what he says. This is Philippians 2, 25, 26. But I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, etc., etc. So what does Paul say? I thought it was necessary to send Epaphroditus, not because God instructed him to do so, but because of what was going on. He had reasons, and uh, he could figure out those reasons for himself. He didn't need to hear uh, from the voice of God. It was just the best way to accomplish important goals for Paul. Let's take another uh, passage here. So we're, uh, we, we learn from Romans 15 that Gentile churches had taken up an offering uh, to send to the Jewish believers in Judea. And Paul was going to send those messengers out that, were sent, that were, would have the money with a letter of introduction. And he told the Corinthians he might even go with the gift, go himself. How's he going to decide? Well, here it is, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 3 to 4. And when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I shall send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. So is Paul going to join the messengers with the gift? He would, if it is fitting. Well, what did he mean? Well, we don't know. And uh, most commentators think it had to do with the size of the gift. But there, there's no indication that Paul thought of the size of the gift as some kind of fleece to lay out before the Lord. He was just calculating the best way he could use his time and energy. Here's another case uh, in Acts. So when the church got started, one of the first problems was uh, there, there was some kind of discrimination going on against the food service. Uh, what they mean by that? The Hellenistic Jews felt that their widows were being overlooked when food was being distributed. That's Acts 6.1. How'd they deal with that? Well, here we are, Acts 6.2-4. And the twelve summoned the congregations of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables, etc., etc. So what plan did they adopt to alleviate the situation? Something that was not desirable? So at no point did they try to seek the ideal will of God for the solution or who to carry it out. They just said, we've got to do something different. And they established qualifications for a task, and they left the choice of the men to the people. All right, well, I don't know how many more of these to do, but over and over again, he, he, he does a good job in this book because he takes you to the, to the Scripture. He, he doesn't just talk off the top of his head on this. Um. How about Acts 15? I just have to do this one. Here's another example. Circumcision. What role would that play uh, when they converted Gentiles? Were they going to have to be circumcised? So they decide in their big meeting in uh, Acts 15 that they would not be required. And their letter that they're sending out to the Gentile churches saying that here's our judgment. That's Acts 15, 28 to 29. For it seemed good to lay on you no greater burden. And Friesen points out that phrase, it seemed good, appears three times in Acts. In fact, all in Acts 15, verses 22, 25, and 28. So the, it wasn't a case of their decision uh, coming up with a result of God giving them some kind of individual will they had to, to find. It was um, decision-making involved a lot of debate and application of Scripture, and then they determined what seemed good to them to do. So, what are we talking about here? Summarizing time here for Friesen. He said, in non-moral areas, on what basis is the believer to make a decision? Well, 
says if you look at the apostolic decision-making, they did not attempt to discover God's individual will for these decisions. They'd say things like, we thought it best, I thought it necessary, if it is fitting, it is not desirable, it seemed good. In one case, I have decided, that's Titus 3.12. So these men, we see them doing these things, they're exercising their freedom of choice within God's moral will. But on what basis? And Friesen sums it up this way, and he puts it in uh, italics. In non-moral decisions, the goal of the believer is to make wise decisions on the base of spiritual expediency. So, yeah, I like the way he puts it simply. He says, what works best to get the job done, that's what you do, within God's moral will, of course. Okay, I thought that made a lot of sense. And then the, he quotes from uh, Dr. J.I. Packer definition of wisdom. Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. So we've got to use wisdom. That's what his whole book is going to focus on, the ability to figure out what is spiritually expedient in any kind of given situation. And so he said, all right, in this chapter so far, you've seen the apostles are doing this thing, but what about instructions the apostles gave to the church? Is that the same as their example? And the answer is yes. So here, here's uh, Paul exhorting people in 1 Corinthians 6. Christians ought to be competent to make wise decisions, he says. Now here's part of it. He says, Is there not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? So Paul is maintaining there ought to be at least one person. And the, ad, the, the idea here is uh, find somebody that's qualified and, and have that person take care of this. This is probably the best chapter of instruction on decision-making within the moral will of God, according to Friesen, is 1 Corinthians 7. Now, what's going on there is Paul talking about singleness and marriage. For some of the questions, the moral will of God is determinative. For example, if you're married, you're not supposed to um, get divorced, and you're not supposed to abstain from fulfilling sexual responsibilities to one another. But some areas fall into the um, idea of freedom. So, Friesen says there are two adjectives that most often qualify Paul's advice. He'll use words good and better. Should a believer get married? Well, there's no command from Scripture, so how do you decide? Paul says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. It's good for the unmarried to remain single. It's good for a man to remain in his present state. Not contrasting good with evil, just advantageous. So, uh, he's urging Christians to do what will be the most advantageous. And then um, in his answer to the question about what about remarriage of widows, he said it's freedom. In my opinion, he says she would be happier the way she is. She's free to marry, though, if she wants to. So it's a measure of God's love, Friesen says, that our own happiness can be permitted as a valid consideration in decision-making. So when you face a decision in the area of freedom, Friesen says, we can ask, what decision would lead to my greatest happiness? Now, we're still assuming it's all within the moral will of God. The principle of wise decision-making, he says, according to spiritual expediency, is in Ephesians 5, 15 to 16. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So, wisdom is linked to making most of your opportunity. So, to sum up, he said, 
the pattern that you see the apostolic leaders doing and then what they said to their congregations in non-moral decisions, the goal of the believer is to make wise decisions on the basis of spiritual expediency. Well, <laughs> key question, then. great, okay, we got to be wise. How do you get wisdom? And he said the core truth is if you want wisdom, you have to seek for it. Proverbs 8, 17, Friesen points out, says, I, that's wisdom, love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me, diligently seek me, will find me. So we've got to know where to find it and how to look for it. So wise is what God is in his essence. So obviously, we have to realize that no person is naturally wise in himself or herself. So the ultimate source of wisdom that we must seek is from God. And so God grants wisdom to people who manifest certain spiritual characteristics like reverence and humility. He's got verses for all of these. I'm just not going to take the time to read them. Teachableness. I like uh, that's a good one, huh? Proverbs 9, 9. I will give you a verse there. Give instruction to a wise man and he'll be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase his learning. Uh, diligence, uprightness, faith. So, he says, we have to start by seeking God. And we have to seek God with the right attitude of faith and being upright and being diligent and being willing to be teachable and being humble and being reverent. So that's, that's pretty obvious. Well, you have to have the right attitude, but then you have to have the right approach, Friesen says. He said there are five avenues of investigation open to the person who wants wisdom. First, is this a surprise? Ask God. That's James 1. Start with God. Ask God. Now, he says James 1, 5 is not a promise of instant solution, so we have to keep that in mind. It says, Faith does not reserve the right to reject God's wisdom after it's given, but submits in advance to the higher ways and thoughts of the Heavenly Father, right? So we have to realize if we're asking for wisdom, then we better follow through on what we get out of that wisdom. Um, appropriate to seek wisdom in the pages of Scripture. Well, yeah, so we're asking God. We look in Scripture. It says the third avenue is outside research where it's appropriate. And he said there are even examples of outside research in the Bible. Look at Nehemiah. He went around sneaking looks at Jerusalem's broken walls to figure out how to rebuild them. And Joshua sent out, sent out two intelligence agents to Jericho. That's extra-biblical research. So... It says the book of Proverbs stresses the value of wise, wise counselors. That's another place to get wisdom. Like Proverbs eleven fourteen, pretty well known, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in, in abundance of counselors, there is victory. One of my favorites is, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Right. So we, we pick out wise people to talk to. And we need two kinds of counselors, Friesen says, those that have deep spiritual insight and have relevant personal experiences so we can ask a question like well when you went through a similar experience did you gain any insights that would be of value to me and the fifth source of wisdom are you surprised for this one it's life life itself just things you've gone through experiences that we've dealt with so at the end this is how he sums up the entire chapter here the ultimate source of the wisdom that's needed in decision making is god so we, we ask him to provide what we lack, and how does he give us that wisdom through his word, our personal research, wise counselors, and applying lessons of life as we go through them. So 
powerful book. It really changed the way I thought about things. And uh, the freedom that we're given is uh, wonderful. As long as we're staying in the moral will of God, he trusts us. Uh, we have uh, a, a mind, and he allows us to use that mind. All right, so that's uh, Gary Friesen's book, Decision-Making and the Will of God. Thanks, and we'll do another podcast soon. Hope you can join me then.